Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. I'm praying because for the next four weeks, we're going to talk about sin. And some of you are already thinking, well, why would we do that for four weeks? It's hardly inspiring. It's hardly uplifting. Why would we do, why would we do that? And that's like saying, well, why would we go to the doctor? I mean, each visit that we take to the doctor, we often go there because there's something niggling us underneath that we can't quite put our finger on. And we, we look, we don't go to the doctor for a motivational, motivational speech. We go there to receive news, and it may be bad news, but sometimes, as you may have experienced, as bad as the news may be, and as confronting as that news may be, it may be confronting, but it can also be liberating. As you come to understand what is happening deep inside you, there's a liberation, there's a freedom now, there's no more anxiety, right? Ah, at least I know what's going on. And so I feel we need to talk about sin because sin is so often misunderstood personally, first and foremost. Lots of different ways of thinking about sin, uh, particularly when you look at your friends and my friends, those who are not Christians, they think of sin like this. They think of sin as, well, just tell me the things that the Bible says that I can't do. Tell me the bad stuff. Or sin is, yeah, it's you Christians and the way that you tell everyone that they're bad people. And you know what? Maybe they're half right. Maybe they've got every reason to feel that, feel that way because I'll be the first one to put the hand up on behalf of the church and Christians to say the church has marked it up over the years. Even for the great preachers, like guys like Spurgeon, he used to say that he would like to beat people down into the quagmire of their sins so they can, he can then lift them back out with the power of the gospel. Now, all biblically true, but that's a bit like inviting someone over to your house and turning off the air conditioning on a 30 degree day just so you can sell them some water. <laughs> if you're visiting, I promise I'm not going to do that to you this morning. And so what, what has happened then in the church, in a reaction to that, the modern church, and particularly those that have come out of the vein of someone like the great uh, Robert Schuller of, of the Hour of Power Ministry in, a, in an area of which has been pretty much uh, some of the core DNA of our own church, they said in response to that, they went so far the other end of the spectrum that they said, hey, let's not talk about sin. Let's go to church, but whatever you do, don't say the S word. <laughs> right? And I feel, as God has led me in this season of our church, is that if we're real about it, I can't recall ever a message or a series in this place where we've talked about sin. And when we don't do that, what, we, what happens is that we miss the opportunity, as we will hopefully see today, for a great liberation in our lives. And more importantly, we will miss the opportunity to experience the wonder of God's grace in our lives. So we misunderstand sin personally. Here's how. Sin is not good deeds versus bad deeds. And sin is not saying that you are a bad person or a worthless person. We will see that over the coming weeks. But we misunderstand it personally. But here's the other reason why we need to look at sin. And it's far more cosmic. It's far bigger than that. Have you, have you caught yourself asking the question lately, what the heck is going on with humanity? Attacks in Paris? The Middle East out of control? Mass shootings through the United States. And what is going on with all of this? And what is the cause of all of this? Is the cause racism? Is the cause intolerance? Is the cause religion? Is the cause homophobia? 
See, the sociologists would say, look, they're, they're the causes for these things that happen. And yet the Bible dares to go deeper than that. The Bible dares to say, no, these things, they're not the cause. They're, they are just the bad fruit of what lurks beneath. And the Bible calls that out and calls it sin. It says there's a deep soul brokenness in every human being, which was never part of God's intention for his creation. And so now notice this. This is why this is why the approach to this series will, will not be like this. Notice how we're not going to talk four weeks on the nature of lust, the nature of greed, the nature of materialism. We're not going to look at sin in that way, although the Bible might describe it as that. But again, those things are just the fruits of what lurks beneath. Instead, we're going to look at sin firstly as self-denial this week. Sin as a hunter. Sin as self-interest. Sin as unbelief and what I believe will happen when we do it that way we'll give ourselves a framework by which we can look at the true nature of sin and apply it appropriately to each of our lives now why look at it that way and I think I did it because I think the Australian government understands this principle already have you guys seen what I believe is one of the most powerful ads on television at the moment it's the advertisement that is the new campaign from the government on combating domestic violence in Australia and it is one of the best one of the most powerful advertisements that I've seen on television in a long time why because there's an image of a young sweating boy standing over the top of his mother as she's fallen to the floor and the slogan is domestic violence let's stop it where it starts notice how the government is not saying don't go punch women but they say it's right back into childhood, the slamming door, the, the angry attitude, let's stop it where it starts. And so here's the whole heart of this series. Church, what if we stopped it where it starts? Lust, greed, materialism, all this, that's the fruit. Let's stop it where it starts. So the question, where does sin start? And this is a great case study this morning from the Old Testament in the book of Samuel as to where sin starts. The primary place that sin can start in your life is in the sin of what I call self-denial. Self-imposed denial. The, the sin of self-denial is this, that human beings have almost an infinite capacity to not know a truth that they really do know because they don't want to know that truth. Let me say it again. Human beings have an almost infinite capacity to not know a truth that they really do know because they don't want to know that truth. That's what the sin of self-denial is, and we see that case study in Saul. So we'll look this morning. Here's how it'll go out. We'll look at the start of self-denial, the structure of self-denial, and then how you can heal self-denial. The sin, the start of self-denial. Saul, Saul is such a great case study here. It's almost comical. God's given him a command in verse 18 of 1 Samuel 15, sums it up. It says, Samuel says to him, And God sent you on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy the wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you've wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Now, uh, for some people already they go, This is exactly why I can't stand the God of the Old Testament. This is, exactly, this is the point that I say, The God of the Old Testament is always wiping people out. <laughs> Now, you have to understand the context here. It says the, the Amalekites were a wicked people. In, in other words, 
they were, they were the ancient version of an ISIS in the Middle East. They were a raiding tribe. They would go around. They would torture people. They would wipe other tribes out. And so when, when, the, when God sends Israel in to wipe these people out, this is not an act of imperialism or war or pre, a preemptive strike on a sovereign nation here. This was an act of justice. God says these people have committed such atrocities, they've got to be wiped out and you're going to do it, Saul. And how do we know that? How do we know it was an act of justice? Because God says here to Saul, I don't want you to leave a person or even a single animal alive. Now it sounds harsh, but it means this. Here's what God was saying. He's saying, Saul, I want you to wipe them out, but whatever you do, I don't want you to profit from this war. No money, no plunder, no good stuff, no wealth, no power. You are not to profit from this because this is an act of justice. And so what what does Saul do? Samuel wakes up, he couldn't sleep all night, goes out to meet Saul. This is why it's comical. Samuel doesn't even say anything. And Saul runs out and says, yeah, I did what the Lord told me to do. I wiped him out. And Samuel says, "Uh, uh, Saul, if if you did that, uh, why am I hearing bleeding sheep? (laughs) Why am I hearing cattle? Is that their king over there? Here's the case study. The human heart has almost an infinite capacity to hide truth from itself if that truth is too unpleasant, uncomfortable or downright inconvenient. Let me give you some examples in increasing order of seriousness. My first car that I had was a 1963 MGB convertible. Beautiful. I thought it would be wonderful to take all the girls out in it until I realised you know, they spend three hours doing their hair, you take them on a date and no roof on the car wrecks it within about five seconds. Anyway, the thing with MGs that I read up is that one of the greatest problems they had is with their big end bearings in the engine. It was an old engine and so the bearings would always go and you would know that the bearings had gone on the car because you would begin to hear a clicking sound or a tapping sound from the engine. And so I read this through all my manual, I thought my car's fine. Until a day when I'm cruising down Monavale Road, wind in my hair. <laughs> no one's sitting next to me. <laughs> and I could hear tick, 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 tick. I thought, oh, it's fine. And then I'm driving the next day and going down the road and I could begin to hear tick, tick, tick. It was getting a bit louder. And as, as I heard it more and more, as that sinking feeling started to happen in my stomach, you know what I did? I turned the radio up. <laughs> Lasted, lasted about six eight, month, six, eight months until I had to take it in for a service and the mechanic said to me, mate, your big end, big end bearings have gone. $5,000 later. Then, then you've got next level of seriousness. Then you've got the, the man who's been through five relationships within a year. The friend sits him down and says, what's happening? And he says, well, women just never get me. In fact, all women are horrible. They just don't understand me. All women are horrible. It's next level of seriousness. It's the father that's been called into the principal's office because his favourite son has been bullying other kids in the classroom. And the minute that he hears that from the teachers, he says to them, you don't understand my son. He's a gifted kid. You're not teaching him well enough. He's too distracted. That's why he's bullying other children. It's a story that I heard only a, a month or two ago from a Northsider who knew someone else. Uh, a young father of two kids. 
who'd been bleeding every time that he went to the bathroom. And he did that for two years until he eventually died of bowel cancer. We humans have an almost infinite and powerful capacity to hide truths from ourselves if that truth is too unpleasant, uncomfortable or inconvenient. And this stuff can kill you spiritually. And that's why we have to look at it this way. It's no different from the seriousness of that situation. What's happening in each case? Each case, each person is using a technique to smother the truth in order to give themselves some temporary peace. Some techniques to smother the truth, that truth that is uncomfortable, unpleasant, inconvenient. So the question is, what are the techniques? Come back to 1 Samuel again, chapter 15. Uh, That comical verse, verse 13. When Samuel reached him, Saul ran out and said, The Lord bless you, I've carried out the Lord's instructions. Yeah, this is almost like whenever you've, whenever you've seen a kid, they come out and you've got a kid crying in the other room and one kid runs out really guiltily and you don't even say anything to them and they said, I didn't bite my brother. <laughs> <laughs> what, what does this mean? The Lord bless you, I've done what he obeyed. Saul knows. He doesn't know, but he does know because the truth is inconvenient, inconvenient and unpleasant for him. And so he comes out and he's, he's trying to hide all of this. And we actually see in 1 Samuel 15 three core strategies, three principles, three techniques that people use in order to perpetuate self-denial. Here they are. You want to know what they are? Here's, here's the first one. They're, they're, it applies today. Verse 14 and 15. So he says, I've, I've done that. And then verse 14, but Samuel says, what then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? And Saul answered, the soldiers bought them from the Amalekites. (laughs) Here's the first way that we perpetuate self-denial. You blame others. Shift the blame. it's It's my father's fault from the way that he treated me when I grew up. Mum didn't love me enough. I see it all the time with people who are at the impasse of forgiveness in their relationships. They've become so convinced that they're right and their partner is wrong. It's all their fault that I'm in this scenario. Reminds me of, of, uh, of the great movie, What About Bob? Starring Bill Murray and Richard Dreyfuss. And Bob is a, uh, he's a multiphobic personality uh, with paranoid tendencies and obsessive compulsive disorder and in his first consultation with the psychologist Richard Dreyfus says to him Bob tell me about yourself are you married are you single Bob says I'm single psychologist says what happened he said well let me put it this way doc there are some people that like like Neil Diamond and there are some people that don't my wife loved Neil Diamond The doc said, so let me get this straight, Bob. You, you, you're a multiphobic, uh, multiphobic personality with paranoid disorders and obsessive compulsive disorder and your wife didn't leave you but you left her? <laughs> and Bob goes, ow, ow, ow. <laughs> the doc broke down the walls of self-denial and Bob's technique of blame. 
Here's the other technique. It goes on, verses 19 to 20. It says, uh, Samuel again says, Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evils in the eyes of the Lord? And verse 20, Saul says, But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me, and I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag their king. I went and I completely did it. This is after Samuel's just said, Why? This sheep going around him. The place smells like Taronga Zoo or the kids petting section at the Easter show like it's obvious the stench of it is in their in in their nostrils and God said wipe everything out and you can still hear the animals I completely did it here's here's the second technique you minimize through rationalization here's what Saul did I only kept a little bit I I only I I didn't I did I obeyed 99% that's good enough, right? I did 90, I, I've, I, I've only got a little bit over here. It's, it's, it's not a bit. I did 99% of the job. Don't we know what that looks like today? Looks like this. Someone says, I lied to someone, but at least I'm not cheating on my taxes. Then the next person says, well, I'm cheating on my taxes. At least I'm not committing corporate fraud. The next person says, well... I'm committing corporate fraud, but at least I'm not killing anyone. (laughs) Where does it stop? There's an infinite capacity to minimise the sin through self-rationalisation, right? Oh, that person's worse than me. And you see this played out in in the third one here. This is the biggest warning for us as a church, verse 16. Because this is what that rationalisation leads to. Verse 16 onwards, Saul answered, The soldiers brought them back from the Amalekites. Verse 15, sorry. The soldiers brought them back from the Amalekites. And here it is. The soldiers did it, but, but they spared the best of the sheep and the cattle so that we could sacrifice it to God. <laughs> right? So he's really caught out. He sees that, oh, yeah, the soldiers did it, but... We were doing it for God. You know what that's called? Religion. And religion has been the greatest force for self-denial throughout history. The third technique that Saul uses is he hides behind morality and religion. I did the wrong thing, but I was doing it for God. And that's the modern person that says, yeah, look, I've got sin in my life, but it, it doesn't matter. I go to church. I pray. I attend regularly. I do this. Look, don't don't beat me up for this thing over here. I, I do I do lots of good stuff. I'm a good person. But you know that's that's no different from the mafia boss who says, yeah, 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 yeah. I kill people, but but look how I love my mother. <laughs> Christians, oh, the risk we have behind uh, of hiding behind religion and morality. Jordan MacDonald once said, we must repent not only of our bad deeds, but more importantly, our good deeds as well. We'll pick that up when we look at sin as self-interest. So, blame, minimisation, hiding, they're all techniques that you see happen throughout people, not only Christians, but non-Christians all around the world. But can you see how this is a framework? This is a structure. 
Insert what you're dealing with here and process that against the grid. Now the question as we start to move to an end this morning then is what triggers self-denial? If sin is what lurks beneath, what lurks beneath, what lurks beneath? What triggers all of this? And I think Samuel gets to the heart of it in verse 17. Samuel said, he says this, he gets to it because here's the question. Why do we deceive ourselves of certain truths? See, we don't deceive ourselves of all truths. Only some, only the unpleasant, only the uncomfortable, only the inconvenient one. Why do we do that? Why does Sam turn the radio up? Why does the father hide over what is going on with his son? Why does the lover say that all women are horrible? Samuel puts his finger on it in verse 17. Samuel says, Although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? Here's the question. Why did Saul still keep the plunder? Why did Saul do what every other eastern military power do and take the king back into his camp? Because to take their king back into your camp meant that you were a king above that king. You weren't just a king now, you're an emperor. You're the man. And Saul sought more power. Saul sought more status. And Samuel says the greatest sin in this, Saul, is that you had forgotten the power and the status and the beauty of the identity that God himself had already placed upon you. Now, I don't know about you guys, but every time that I find that I wrestle with certain sins in my life, I know when I lie or when I cheat or I'm dishonest, when I I come up against that, I realise it's because I'm small in my own eyes. Why else do we lie? Why else do we cheat? Why else do we try and create an impression? Because we feel, we know, we sense that we're not big enough. And the great news of the gospel is that What God bestows upon you as a Christian is the greatest identity of all. If you are in Christ, then in a billion years from now, you will be reigning with him, with all of his glory in the throne room of God, when it is so far back that people aren't even going to know in heaven who President Obama was. That is your destiny, Christian. And yet we forget it. And we're small. And we seek to build an identity for Ourselves, God has made you in the gospel. He's made you big. He's made you beautiful. C.S. Lewis said, there is no mere mortals. Every single one of you in Christ is a creature that is so beautiful that if you were to see your true self in the mirror, you'd be at risk of falling down and worshipping yourself. And here's what it means. It's the opposite of what Spurgeon did. I hope. I'm giving you this morning. Until you receive the good news then you'll never be able to deal with the bad news. And there is bad news. And I will say that too. We're a broken people. We live in a broken world. I desperately want us to be a church that is not necessarily all truth and no grace. But on the other hand, I desperately want us to be a church that is not all grace and no truth. There's good news and there's bad news in all of this. And the bad news is, yes, we're broke, but only until you receive the good news that in Christ it is all covered, it is done, it is paid for. As Paul says in Romans 5 verse 20, I love, it's the most beautiful verse in the Bible. It says, Romans 5 verse 20, the law was added so that trespass, sin, might increase. That sounds fun, God. But where sin increased, grace increased also. 
And you know what that means? It means that to the degree that you come into a greater awareness of your own sinfulness, the degree to which you push beyond your own mechanisms of self-denial and call a spade a spade in your own life, is the degree to which you will now correspondingly receive and experience the all-covering grace of God over the top of that. Does that make sense? That to truncate sin in our life, to minimise sin in our life, to not mention the S word. Friends, to do that, we would be denying ourselves an experience of the grace of God. You see this in the personal formation of a guy, because some people are thinking, Sam, how am I going to get any self-esteem out of this this morning? How am I going to get any inspiration out of this this morning? <laughs> how am I going to walk away from here feeling good about this this morning? There's no possible basis for self-esteem. Hey, look at one of the guys who I reckon had the strongest self-esteem in the Bible because he didn't care what anyone said about him, the Apostle Paul. And when you see his trajectory of his personal formation and what he says about himself, he used to say, oh, what a wretched man I am. He said, it starts off like this. The first decade it was, I'm the worst of all the apostles. And then 10 years down the track, you see in his writings that he then says, 10 years later, no longer is he the worst of the apostles, he's the worst of all the saints. He's the worst of all the Christians. And then 30 years later, he says, I'm the worst of all sinners. Now, was that a man who lacked self-esteem? Was that a man who misunderstood the grace of God? No. The deeper that he went into an awareness of his own sinfulness was the degree to which he experienced the grace of God. It's covered. It's done. It's paid for. It's what makes Christianity different from every other religion around the world. The degree to which you get that will be the degree to which you experience the grace of God. And so let me leave you with one last thing. How do we do this? How do we really heal ourselves from the sin of self-denial. And I love it, it's in verse 16. Saul says, but we totally destroyed the rest. And you hear this phrase, enough! (laughs) Samuel's had a gut full of all the excuses and Samuel says, enough! If we translate it to the modern way, Samuel says, enough with the BS, Saul. (laughs) Enough. The only way that you will cure yourself from self-denial is to have a Samuel in your life. The only way that you will cure yourself from self-denial is to do this in community. Because if sin starts with self-denial, then the one person who can't get themselves out of self-denial is you. (laughs) Because if you're in self-denial, then you're in denial. (laughs) The only person that will be able to get you out of that is to have someone alongside you who's willing enough and you're willing to be close enough to them to say, it's enough. And you hear them and you respond to that. And look, let's, let's get a little pointed here. If you're the sort of person who likes to drop into church, you don't want to be accountable to anyone. You don't want to connect in community. You don't want to have a Samuel in your life. Then I can tell you, you're a sitting duck for self-denial. And it breaks my heart because as a pastor, time and time again, of the few cases that we see of people that often blow out of community, blast themselves out of community, more often than not, it's when they're confronted with a truth that is uncomfortable or inconvenient. And someone says to them enough, or they call them on it, and they move on. Because the greatest power to heal the sin of self-denial is to be in community close enough where someone can say stop enough to you. Do you have that this morning? 
Are you willing to go there this, this morning with that? Hebrews 3.13 says, Encourage one another daily lest you fall into the deceitfulness of sin. The only way that you will combat this is in community. And so this morning, probably hasn't been pleasant. <laughs> it's been necessary. It's like a trip to the doctor. Let's consider this just our six monthly health check. That's why we preached it in winter. Don't get as many people coming to church. We thought we could just slip it under the radar. <laughs> but seriously, friends, I believe we've got one of the greatest opportunities to draw a line in the sand and say we're going to be a ch- church, not just of grace. Of course we're a church of grace, but grace and truth. And when we come to understand the nature of sin, then we can come to understand the problems in our own lives and the problems in the world around us. Christian, where do you sit with it all this morning? We're all dealing with it. And here's the telltale. If you, th- if you think you're not dealing with it, or you think that you don't need to deal with it, then that's probably the sign that you deal need- do need to deal with self-denial. <laughs> if you think that you don't need to be here for the next couple of weeks, maybe you do. Friend, maybe you're seeking out God. Maybe this was the one time that you thought you'd finally bite the bullet and go to church and you'd believe the best. And guess what? They're talking about sin. (laughs) Hey, friend, I just hope that if you're checking out Christianity, that you would stay long enough and that you would see the heart behind all of this. Please don't miss the opportunity to explain your life and the world around you. I find this with most, again, 9 out of 10 people that I talk to that are not yet Christians. Whenever we talk about sin and to move away from it being good deeds versus bad deeds, but things like self-denial, I can see it in their eyes. They know. They don't know, but they do know because they don't want to know. The concept of God, the concept of someone being the ultimate authority in your life, it may be inconvenient. At worst, it might be uncomfortable or unpleasant. But friend, I plead with you this morning, come out from underneath that. It's the first chance that you will have to receive healing in your life. And so a man gets a knock at the door. Someone comes up to him and says, Sir, I've decided that I'm almost 30 June. I'm going to pay your tax bill. The person says, Oh, that's great. I didn't even know I had a tax liability. How much was it? Oh, 50 bucks. Oh, great. Thank you very much, kind sir. And the door shuts. Another scenario, a man is, gets a knock at the door, someone comes up and says, kind sir, I've decided to pay your tax bill. Oh, 30 June, I didn't realise I had a tax liability. How much? $500,000. And they wept and they embraced him. One of the great preachers, Jonathan Edwards, said, until I know how much it costs, I'll never know whether to shake his hand or to kiss his feet. Let's pray. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.